0: Thank you so much, Mel. Anytime I ask Mel to do a special, she always smiles. She's always so ready. I love to hear her sing. What a blessing she is to our church. Thank you so much. If you have your scriptures with you this morning, I want you to turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 22. We're going to make it down through the end of the chapter this week. And I can just tell you this, that whenever the Chiefs win a playoff game, I tend to preach longer. (laughs) That's not true. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, we're talking about wives and husbands, and uh, we're tying this to a greater truth, um, is that when this takes place, And this passage of Scripture sets forth some deep, deep truths about covenant marriage and the relationship between male and female, that God's kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's fully what he intends. We spoke about kind of a a 30,000-foot level last week. We're going to get a little more directly involved with it this week. Let's read verses 22 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll pray and get started. Wives, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church however let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband let's go to the Lord in prayer Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this day, we do so in hope of understanding even greater to extent your truth. We want to understand your truth, Father, because we're people who want to do according to your will. We want to obey your statutes and your commandments, and Father, we want to see how that interacts with the forgiveness that is found in Christ, how you're making us new, and the hope that we have in the salvation that you've given Father, as we do that, as we go through this passage this morning, difficult passage to the world, in fact, the world hates this, they hate covenant marriage, yet they're so in need of the stability and the truth that comes from it. Help us to understand these words this morning even more deeply as we go through them. Use your Holy Spirit to go above and beyond my simplicity, speak and feed the people that are here this day right into their hearts, Father, the truth that gives life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The truth that gives life, and certainly this passage and all of Scripture is such. Um, I want to go back and review just momentarily um, a little bit of last week, and that is that we kind of saw this from a 30,000-foot view, and that 30,000-foot view requires us to understand God's overall plan and and to give you that overall plan in a little bit more of a distinct way, I brought that from Hervin Babink, who is a Dutch theologian born in the 19th century and lived uh, and wrote and was just a, an amazing theologian uh, uh, and, and a re- well-respected uh, Reformation writer. Babink puts it this way that the essence of the Christian religion is just this, that God created, the Father created, and sin devastated that creation, but then the Son was sent to redeem that creation, and the Holy Spirit was sent to recreate that creation into, not just to recreate it, but to recreate it into something, the kingdom of God. And beloved, we are the kingdom of God. You have, who have the Holy Spirit residing in you, he is doing a work, he is doing a work that you could not do in recreating who you are to the extent that he is making you new. He is bringing you back to the Garden of Eden and what God originally created, and he said in Genesis 1, verse 31, it was good, it was very good. That included Adam and Eve, okay? And then he goes into chapter 2, and he under- we understand more specifically how he created Adam. And he created Adam from the dust of the ground, and he set him there in the garden, and he gave him work to do to keep and to work the garden. We see even in that the masculine role of provide and protect, don't we? But we also see that God said about Adam that he should not be alone. It's not good for men to be alone. And and every man that's sitting here, and every woman I know knows this too, but men know it in a specific way, that it's not good for us to be alone. Right, men? Amen? Right. It's good that God made woman. So God saw the need in Adam, and he put Adam to sleep, and he created out of Adam's side the woman. And Adam was absolutely ecstatic, because though God had brought him every animal and everything in creation so that he could name it, he saw something missing in himself. And when he saw Eve, he saw everything that completed him and everything necessary for him to be able to accomplish what God had given him in the great cultural mandate from Genesis 1, chapter Uh, Chapter 1, verse 28, which is be fruitful, multiply, fill and subdue the earth and have dominion over that. God made all of creation for us, beloved, for us to enjoy. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning. I don't think we go deep enough in that, but we are a part of that creation. We're meant to enjoy one another, and I don't know any other better or more specific way that God wants us to enjoy one another than in through the relationship male to female in covenant marriage. It's in that enjoyment and in that purpose that God knit into that covenant marriage that we see in Ephesians chapter 5 that we can fulfill the mandate, that we can be everything that God called us to be. And you remember we each made certain that we understood that we made mistakes in that. We've made mistakes in our relationship and sin has caused this world to be what it is and it's caused marriage to be what it is. But that doesn't excuse it. God has forgiven us in Christ. We saw that in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 where it says specifically, all the, Jesus speaking to the disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. And that general theme that God created, it was good, sin corrupted, that was bad, Jesus came to redeem, the Holy Spirit is making us back into the kingdom of God, is where our work begins. We've been forgiven. All of our past mistakes are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we can become the kingdom of God here on earth. We can love our wives, men, the way God calls us to, and women, we can submit to our husbands the way God calls us to. We can raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that's where we're going next week. And all of this is worship to God. Because what I think we misunderstand sometimes, I hear this sometimes when people leave a fellowship. They say, well, you know, I'm just not getting anything from it. And, and it hurts a preacher to hear those words, but I understand them. And fundamentally, it's a misunderstanding, not only on the church level when somebody leaves, but on the level, uh, a practical level of Monday through Friday level of how we understand what our marriage is and what our responsibilities as the kingdom of God is. You see, when church is not for us, beloved, we have a call to worship, right, because we worship God. Church is a place where we come to worship God. And how many people have heard this? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Right? So many people, some people, it needs to be taught from the pulpit. We come to church to worship God. We live a life that's faithful to these scriptures because every act of faithfulness is worship to God Almighty. Beloved, when we teach those children down there, we teach them unapologetically that gay marriage is wrong, that you need to grow up to find a godly woman and be a godly husband to that godly woman so that you can raise godly offspring and that godly offspring can go out into this world and project the image of God and his love and his glory to everyone that will see it. It is worship and worship is warfare, beloved. Every day when Noah went and he pounded a nail in that boat, it was an act of worship to a holy God. And when we walk out of here on Sunday and forget about who God is, we're not worshiping during the week and living our lives in glory to him. That's not worship, beloved. And nothing shows that picture like Ephesians chapter 5. I mean, this is the heart of the matter. This is the bedrock principle of the foundation of everything that God's doing in this world. And that is through a godly woman and a godly man. He creates godly offspring, and he's growing the kingdom of God that that mom and dad would train up that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and it's in that relationship, male and female, husband and wife, submitting woman, loving husband, that we get a beautiful illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, where else in the world did people love you as much as your mother and your father, right? Even when you make mistakes, your mother and your father can't get rid of you, they still love you, they forgive you, right? They're willing to die for you in the right relationship, they... you know when sin's been pushed back out of it that's what a godly marriage is and this godly marriage not only raises godly children like we talked about last week and we're going to talk about the effects of godly children momentarily but it also gives us an illustration of two principles that I want to speak about just a just briefly this morning biblical femininity biblical femininity It's the opposite of feminism, okay? Feminism is a lie from the devil. Biblical femininity and biblical masculinity. Okay? It's not complicated, and it's in our scriptures. And as we go over it just briefly this morning, you're going to have a better understanding, and I want you to live that. I want you to go out and put those principles into place in your life during this week because I know that God will bless you in that. Not only do I want you to do that, but I want you to live as the kingdom of God for this church because when you do that, we're going to see this church continue to transform. We've already seen some of that, but I'm going to talk about some really practical things this morning. Last week, I told everybody that was 35 and younger, heck, I care, care if you're 45 and younger and you can still make this happen, have more children. Remember, I did it just like that. Have more children. I tell young men this all the time. You want to be the king of your world, brother? If I can catch a 22, I, I catch guys at restaurants uh, dating their girlfriend. And you can tell they're on a date because they're smiling, they're all acting all silly, and they're using all their utensils, you know. They're not, they're not eating like they normally. You, you can spot them a mile away when you're my age. I go right up to them. I did this when we were in New York City during Christmas uh, this guy and his girlfriend, I could tell they were there on a date. And I walked up behind me, put my hand on my shoulders, and I said, do you want to know what makes you a king? You need to marry this girl and have five children. And then I just quietly said in his ear, if you have five children and each one of your children have five children, and then each one of your grandchildren have five children, brother, do you understand that makes you king? Because that's what God's asking us to do when he says to be fruitful and multiply. So when we do that, We're living as the kingdom of God in this place. Now, sin interrupts that, and we have all different versions of that coming into this life. Sin creates death. We lose husbands. We lose wives. You know, we we get in trouble. We do these things and this thing. But God's plan still exists. And as believers, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us so that we can live out God's plan. We can live out God's plan. So when I talk about biblical femininity and biblical masculinity this morning, I'm specifically speaking to single persons here this morning. But I'm also speaking to you that have lived a few years so that you can understand the foundational principles here and how important they are, not only to teach them to the younger generation, but how important they are to this church and this culture and even this town and this community in which we live. Let's look at this. Let's first talk about the biblical femininity. It begins here as we see it in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is his himself, its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Last week, we talked about the ground of that. It shows it in verse 22. It's a religious ground. She's to do it as to the Lord, right? That's the religious ground in this. And because there's a religious ground to it, everything that flows from it is religious, And it reaches the spiritual realm. In other words, it makes a a, a statement into the culture, into the lost culture, that this is what God requires, and this is what obedience to God looks like, and this is a religious thing. This is worship for the wife to live in this manner to her husband. And this flows out in two different ways, this submission. It is for the husband, yes. It is for the husband, and it is... A blessing that God gave the wife and the husband, the wife to be able to do. It is a gift that she can give to her husband and to the marriage. It is that help me function, I believe, from Genesis chapter 1. Every man needs this type of wife to complete him on his mission. Together they do this, as I said last week. It's not about competition. It's about cooperation. Together they work together to build a household and to build it in such a way that they have godly offspring and that they Godly offspring and their life together goes out and it makes a testimony. Part of the submission is that. But part of it, that submission is the blessing of what a godly woman is. A godly feminine woman is. And the reason I want to undergird this this morning is because there are young men here that have been lied to in culture about what a good woman should be. You believe me in that? Culture has a different view of what a good woman is than the Bible. So let's take just a minute. Let's turn to 1 Peter. Keep your finger there in Ephesians. We're going to keep flipping back to that. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This won't take too long. Peter writes about this. We're going to see. Because that... That submission that she gives is spirit. It's something that comes from within her. It's a gift of God for the work of the husband. And I'm telling you, it's like whenever you get an engine tuned just properly. Okay, I've just tuned out every woman this year, but every man, listen up. When you get an engine tuned just pro- you got an eight-cylinder engine, and all cylinders are within 1% balance of one another, they, that engine's going to make as much power as possible. It's going to be sweet-sounding. It's going to run, and it's going to make smoke at the back tires, right? In other words, whenever you get it timed just right, whenever you get the carburation just right, the fuel and the spark just right, that thing sings a song that is music to our ears, man. That's exactly what a godly woman is to us. It involves something. In other words, God's created us in a certain way that we can literally be a better man than we ever could have been with a woman like this uh, in, in covenant marriage, married to her. You understand that? There's something integral to men. It's inside of us that needs a woman like this. And I know there's young men sitting here that have never heard that before. There's probably some women that have never heard that there. So what makes that woman so attractive? What makes her so beautiful? What makes her so necessary in that relationship? Do you know what that is? Is it the way God built her externally, her physical appearance? No, I see some men shaking their head no. It's going to be the older man at this point, right? <laughs> Right, So no, but Peter tells us what makes this submissive spirit and what makes it so beautiful. Just going to spend a moment here. First Peter chapter 3. He says likewise, and when he says this, he's building it off of chapter 2, and it's about submission to authority. God has a pattern of authority because that's the way the world works. Um, patriarchy is what it is, and we will have patriarchy. You can't get rid of it we'll either have godly patriarchy or evil patriarchy, okay? And what God is saying is that, that there's an authority structure and that Christians are to submit to that authority structure. And then we get to top of chapter 3 where we're going to work for a moment. He is talking about husbands and wives. So he's saying the same thing that Paul is saying in Ephesians. He's saying wives, submit to your husbands. Likewise, verse 1 likewise wives be subject to your own husbands okay so that even if some do not obey the word that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives wow how powerful I don't want to spend a lot of time going into this but the wives actions can have definite reactions on the man they might even be saved by your submissive spirit and your obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ do you get that Paul talks about this more in 1 Corinthians 7, if you want to read more about this later. But that is a powerful thing. And when I said last week, I said that the woman has so much control over this, that if she acts the way that God's called her to, that God can literally do miracles through her to her husband. I've seen this happen. I know that many of you that's lived, even for a minute, have seen godly women make such a testimony to their wives, or to their husbands over the years, that they change the husband's heart through the work of the Holy Spirit, so that they may be even won by the conduct of their wives. So your obedience, beloved, matters. Your living in a biblically feminine way matters. Two, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, these words are bringing in holiness. These respectful and pure are your, is your attitude not only towards them, but as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5, Uh, chapter 5, verse 22, it's as to the Lord. In other words, your obedience to the Lord and respectful, pure conduct to be obedient to the Lord spills over into culture and even into your own marriage. Then he goes on to say, verse 3, and this is where we get into the beauty of the woman. Okay? This is where we get into worldly beauty, and this is where we get into godly religious beauty. This is where we get into understanding That men have been taught to go after one type of beauty, and taught that the other type of beauty is not that valuable. But biblical femininity puts one beauty over the other beauty. It's not saying that you can't have both, but one makes all. Let's read this: Do not let your adorning be external—the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the wearing of and the cloth or the clothing you wear. But, verse 4, let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart that this is an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sights very precious. I don't have these underlined in my Bible, but these are very important words. But let you, what Peter's saying is don't focus on the external but the internal because the internal has much more to do with true beauty than the external. He's not saying that a woman can't dress up and look pretty. He's not saying that at all. He is just merely placing emphasis on the internal beauty. And that internal beauty is what Paul is calling the submissive spirit to God's will and to her husband in marriage. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That gentle and quiet spirit is exactly what Paul's talking about when he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. That's exactly what I was talking about when I said, husbands don't need somebody that competes with them, but that cooperates with them so that together they can do what God's called them to do in this world. That she can be submissive to him and And a helpmeet in every way so that he can be what God's calling him to be. And together they can both, with one corporate voice in covenant marriage, glorify God. It comes and it starts. Beloved, I believe it begins when a man understands how precious the adorning of the heart of the woman is. And this, beloved, is where biblical femininity and the beauty, the true beauty of a woman takes place. Let me say this we know that the external beauty at some point goes away. But because of how I know, and I've got to use my wife as an example. I don't want to embarrass her. But because of how I know my wife internally, she becomes more externally beautiful every day to me. Do you understand that? Young men, listen up. This is what you're looking for. Because it's the internal that is eternal. Do you see what Peter's saying there? It's the quiet and gentle spirit comes from something. What does that come from? Holy Spirit. I just saw somebody whisper it. And what does the Holy Spirit bring us? Holiness. What is the most beautiful thing in the world? Read the whole book of Psalms this afternoon when you go home. It'll be good for you, I promise. The splendor of his beauty is a phrase that you'll hear over and over. Go to the book of Revelation and see John saying, we looked upon the throne and there was colors and lightnings and thunders and feeling and his voice and it was just, a, he was enraptured by the beauty of holiness. The aesthetic beauty of a holy heart is something that is so beautiful that it surpasses the beauty of the physical body. That's what biblical femininity is. When a woman is beautiful from the inside out, she is the most beautiful thing that a man could ever get his hands on. That's why, beloved, whenever Adam saw Eve, he said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, this is woman. Yes, this is exactly what he understood. He not only understood it from a physical and a sexual perspective, but he understood it from a religious and a spiritual perspective. It was everything. And beloved, when you couple that to what God is doing through covenant marriage in this world today, you have to have that to make your marriage what it needs to be. Okay, how do we do that? Well, I don't, let's finish here with this first. It's a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. There, I brought it full circle for you. It's not, the Bible never contradicts itself. This is what submitting is. It's that gentle, quiet spirit within the woman. It's her holiness. And before God, it's an imperishable beauty. It never, it never um, deteriorates. In fact, I would say, that if a man is playing his part and loving his wife like Christ loved the church, that's what we're called to do, and wash her by the water of the word. We're, we're called to nurture our wives through holy living ourselves and loving her like Christ loved the church. We're making that that be- that gentle and quiet spirit is becoming even more beautiful because it's the work of holiness, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, it's the work of the Word of God in us as the church that's making us beautiful so that Christ can present. This, us, the church, his bride to himself one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we are doing that for our wives' men. As we love them like Christ did the church, as we give them scripture, as we take time to love them the way that we're called to love them, that biblical femininity comes out of them and it's even more beautiful. Amen? You can experience this. If you will ask God to teach you how to do this, He will give this to you because this is what he wants for you. Biblical femininity is beautiful. And then you get the external part just to go along with it. There's nothing more beautiful than a godly woman, a godly mother. God made nothing more beautiful than that. If you're a man and you understand it, and I want you to understand it, because if you're 20 years old and you're sitting here this morning, this is the rest of your life. And let me go just a little further with this this morning. I didn't plan on doing this. Let's turn to Proverbs very quickly. I don't want to make this too long. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. And I think I, think I want chapter 5. I don't have it in my notes. but Proverbs chapter... Yep, chapter 5, first 14 verses about a bad girl, second half of this about the good girl. Now, thanks for the giggle. I needed to lighten that up a little bit. But Solomon uses the book of Proverbs to teach his son about wisdom. And one of the things if you read Proverbs through front to back is that wisdom is getting the right woman. Because that's what the Proverbs 31 woman's all about. He's basically saying wisdom is living your life before God in such a way. Wisdom is first the knowledge of God, the fear of the Lord, right? The honor of the Lord. That's what he says in 1.7. He repeats it throughout the book. But he uses the metaphor of a woman to present wisdom. Let's look at chapter 5. He's saying, my son. Now, if you look at this, chapter 4, hear, O sons. Chapter 2, my son, if you receive my words. Chapter 3, my son, do not forget. See, he's teaching his son. He's teaching his son, and who, who knew better than Solomon how to make a mistake with his 700 wives? Right? <laughs> this teaching has a little bite to it, man. He had made, it's not about the number, it's about the heart, okay? Anyway, chapter 5, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. In other words, pay attention, boy. Incline your ear to my understanding. I've got wisdom here that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey in her speech. You know, he calls unwisdom uh, the, the harlot or the adulteress throughout the book here. Um, for the lip, Verse 3, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Uh, and her speech is smoother than oil. Now, wait a minute. Are those things bad? No, it's because she's the forbidden woman. These are all external things. She doesn't have the internal beauty that Peter's woman over there had in chapter 3. And what happens to this type of relationship? Verse 4, the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharper than a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol to the place of dead. She does not pander the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. That's because what's going on in the inside Is not what Peter's telling us that biblical femininity is. She may be beautiful on the outside, and that's his point. I'm not going to go through all of it up to verse 14, but I want to focus here on what he says in verse 15 and on. Drink water from your own cistern. That's what he's calling his own wife. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his path. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of this great folly he is led astray. Go to chapter 31 of this same book. It all culminates in this. The wisdom is to find the fear of the Lord in Proverbs and to find a woman who fears the Lord. Wow, that's good. The wisdom in the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord And the wisdom to the son in the book of the Proverbs is to find the woman who fears the Lord. Proverbs 31, beginning at verse 10. This is what I want for every young man who's sitting here today. An excellent wife who can find her. I love this. She is far more precious than jewels. You know why? Because she is the jewel. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. She's like the ships of the merchants. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night, providing food for her household and portions for her maiden. She considers a field, buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strengths and makes her arms strong. She perceives that she is Valuable. Her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp doesn't go out at night, but she puts her hands to work, to the staff and to the spindle. Opening her hands to the poor, she reaches out to the needy as well. She's not afraid of the cold, the snow, for her household is all clothed with her work. She makes bed coverings for herself, fine linen and purple. She makes herself attractive to her husband. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Why? Because he has this wife and he has the fruit of the relationship that she begins to build in his life. I won't go any further than that, but you get the understanding that biblical femininity begins in the heart of the woman. It's about the submission uh, and and obedience to the Lord that God is calling for the woman to have. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is ahead of the wife. Now, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Beloved, this is biblical masculinity. Biblical masculinity. Let me give it to you. Doug Wilson has this one pithy little sentence of what biblical masculinity is. He calls it the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Biblical masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. And in a nutshell beloved as we come to a close here this morning this is very simply just this is that in the garden of eden whenever god came and he wanted to find out what happened in the garden And he began to say, Adam, where are you, right? He wasn't looking for Eve, even though Eve was the one that was tempted by Satan. Even though it was Eve that ate the fruit, it was Eve that gave to her husband. He was looking for Adam. Why? Because Adam's responsible. He's responsible because God gave him the commands and he was to teach his wife the commands. Not only was he to teach his wife the commands, but do you see it from Ephesians 5? He was to continually wash his wife in those commands and make her holy, make her beautiful on the inside, right? To give her the word of God that cleanses and sanctifies her and sets her apart. And he, like every man today, has failed in that at some level. And God holds him responsible Now, that doesn't mean that he's ultimately responsible for Eve's sins. Eve will be held for her sins, responsible. But he is responsible inside the marriage for the way that takes place. Men, God will hold you responsible, but if you take up that responsibility and answer it the way the Bible calls you to answer it, he will give you the authority in that relationship. Authority flows to men who take responsibility. Authority flows to men who are obedient to God's will. Men willing to take up sacrificial responsibility joyfully are men that we need in this community. That is biblical masculinity. And they are the men of a godly marriage that needs a submitting wife. What is our best illustration of that? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm so unable to do a half hour sermon, Hebrews chapter 12, just a few verses here, the writer of Hebrews here, remember we had this just a few weeks ago, we did verses 1 and 2, therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and what? What the writer of Hebrews is doing is, is urging us on as Christians today. He's saying, those great witnesses went before you. Noah, Joshua, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Enoch, all of them went before you as examples of what great faith was so that you can live out great faith in this place. Therefore, since so we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. And I would say, men, young men... Look at biblical masculinity this way. Way, Lay aside the weight of the world. Weigh aside every weight and take up the responsibility that God gives you within covenant marriage. And sin, lay aside all the sins of the world, the pornography, Uh, to some extent video games. You know, video games keep men from going out and being men. They allow us to do that thing that men like to do. You know, we like to build, we like to conquer, we like to beat things up to a pulp. And that's actually the drive that God gives us. And it's good if we manifest it out in the world. We build great things. We build hospitals. We build, we build uh, great tall buildings, right? We build electrical systems. We build all types of things. Men, if they're channeled properly into biblical masculinity, we build. And that's because we have women. He's saying lay aside the sin that, cl- that clings to us and run with endurance the race that you've been given. That is to be a man. Look to Jesus. This is, this is the greatest example that all of us have for women to submit and be biblically feminine, and for men to take up, gladly take up, sacrificial responsibility. Please look to Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy? Do you see that word there? Who for the joy? that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God men you may have not sinned all the sins but you're responsible to answering in your marriage relationship for the results And the fruitfulness of that relationship. And the perfect picture here is that Jesus never sinned one sin. Yet he put himself in the place of responsibility for every sin that was ever committed to those he would save. He joyfully took up. He gladly assumed sacrificial responsibility so that his church, so that his church, beloved, could receive his righteousness. Men, there's not a better picture of what it means to be a man, to be masculine, than for you to sacrificially take up the responsibilities to live in such a way and love your wife in such a way that you cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word. That's what biblical masculinity is. And it's shown to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is why covenant marriage makes a testimony to the whole world. This is exactly why it does. Because when a man and a woman live this way, at the end of the passage of Ephesians, let's just go back there. Verse 27, that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That's what God is doing through the Holy Spirit. He's he's creating us into the kingdom of God without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That's what men are doing for their wives. As they present and love her like Christ loved the church, as they continue to lovingly give the wife scripture and teach their household, this this, sanctification is taking place. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives, as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but this is like loving yourself men because this is good for you in the end whenever you build a relationship like this whenever you take up this responsibility that God is giving you something that you never could have had otherwise because we are members of his body verse 31 this is where I want to be therefore a man should leave men should not be single very few have the gift of celibacy here. A man should leave his father and mother. That is a definite disconnection from one union where he felt safe, where he, was, uh, where he was nurtured, and where he grew up. He should leave that, his father and mother, and cleave to his wife. And the two should become, from this cleaving and this work, one flesh. And Paul's going to go on to say, verse 32, that this mystery is profound and I'm telling you, it is so profound, and it has such an impact on society that we can see our society being in the, in the shape that it's in because of the way marriage has been thought of in the current culture. I said that clumsily. But as marriage has declined, culture has declined. In other words, everything that God is doing in building his kingdom begins in the covenant bond of marriage. For a woman to be a godly, submitting woman, biblical femininity, and a man taking up the joyful responsibility, the sacrificial responsibility, is biblical masculinity. And for them to come together and have children creates community and love, and an extension of the gospel within that family, and as that family grows, let's just say there's five children in that family, those five children one day disconnect from that father and mother, and they go and recreate that, and it continues to grow, and it continues to blossom, and the whole world, the whole world, it's such a big impact, it's such a foundational ethic of what God's doing in this world, that the whole world rejoices in God, good, godly marriages and the children that come from them. You think that's not true? Let me tell you what the issue is with a lot of churches today. When you look out onto the pews, you don't see three and four generations. Look around you. Three and four generations make healthy, strong, strong, healthy churches. Three and four generations sitting on the pew, learning the truth of God, learning what it means to be a masculine man and a a feminine woman. They not only build a church, but they go out and they build communities. They become mayors. They become policemen. They become uh, guys that do uh, electricians. They become auto mechanics. They become lawyers. And that godliness spreads out into the community. That's what our nation was. That's what our nation was founded on. And as the family has fallen apart, that kingdom of God has waned. Healthy churches have three and four generations sitting on the pews. Amen? That was tough medicine, right? I encourage you. It's not too late to start. God is still doing this work. I said that last week. God is still doing that work and our mistakes in it. Doesn't negate that God's truth is what it is and that we're called to do it. Beloved, I encourage you today, especially the young people here today, understand what biblical masculinity is. If you're a young man, take up joyfully the sacrificial responsibility, and authority will flow to you. And if you're a woman here today, a young lady, become, work on the inner beauty of the heart. It's the eternal beauty you see that? It's what makes you truly beautiful. Not the external braiding of hair. Not the painting of the lips. It's not saying you can't do that. And it doesn't say it doesn't make you physically beautiful. But it comes in the focus. is eternal. Internal. Amen? Amen. All right. As we go through this, I think we're done with this portion. I have so much more I would like to say. And there's so much more here to what It works out practically. Listen to me. Uh, Generational families tithe more. Generational families build more. Generational families have more strength. When you grow old, who's going to take care of you, the government or your children? I'm not getting any answers. (laughs) Yeah, she's pointing to her kids. Yeah, amen. Amen. That is God's plan. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we should be about as the kingdom of God. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close today. Um, I'm so excited about your word here and how it tells us that uh, godly covenant marriage is your plan for the world. I think of Psalms 150 and where it ends that everything that has breath praises you. And I see that in marriage and I see that in the importance of marriage. And that as we grow and grow children within these homes and we teach them who you are and pass that truth to the next generation, that you are gaining great, glorious, and revelistic praises from those families. Father, help us to go forward as a church who who greatly values covenant marriage. Help the young people here today to understand, even through my simple words, your word and what you've called them to do in their lives. Help them to know that they can commit to this and that they can see the joy and blessing of your, your blessing being on their life for living in this manner. And Father, more than beyond that, grow those families within our church and in our community. Bless our church and our community with great families, generational wealth that goes to the second and the third and the fourth generation and the benefits that naturally flow from that. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the men who are going to help me this morning, please come forward.